Saints, turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter. I said Isaiah. Uh, we're going to be taking a change of pace today, turning in our Bibles there, beginning our Advent season. But uh, I just want to tell you how good it is to be able to see everyone today, which means if you're here, uh, Lord willing, you're healthy. Um, if you're not healthy, um, I wish you wouldn't have come. Uh, <laughs> but no, we. Uh, if you notice, uh, if, you're, if you encounter me today, I'm going to do like the fist bump thing, uh, maybe a little uh, elbow pass, um, germaphobe in like Howie Mandel form um, in mad fashion. If you get that, you know a little bit about like uh, America's Got Talent or whatever uh, with him. But we did have a little bit about uh, with a lot of families within the church, throughout our community, neighbors, friends, just people that we've encountered, like everybody was sick this past week. And it's like, of all weeks, man, like turkey week, and people are going to get sick. But hey, it's life. We overcome. I can honestly tell you uh, right now, our children's department has never been cleaner than it is in this moment in time. Right here, thanks to some great volunteers, you walk back in there and you can just smell bleach. It is great. <laughs> um, as we have taken, uh, taken that uh, um, and just cleansed it um, in many different ways. But uh, you know, we want to be very serious on that is we take, you know, the, the health of our children, the health of our volunteers, the health of our families, very important. And, uh, you know, we're, it's not pleasant for anybody to go um, throughout their work week, throughout the life when you're not feeling well. And so, you know, we want everybody uh, week in and week out to have a confidence that when they come to Harvest Point, we take that of utmost importance. And we do have a lot of families who still are out sick and we want to be praying for them. We have other families uh, who are out of town traveling on their way back. I think today is the, the largest and the busiest travel day of the year now. Um, so what we're going to do now is just take time to prepare our hearts um, to, to kind of go into God's Word, pray for these families, and understand that the season that we're moving into now is a season of Advent. Um, how many of you experience? practiced Advent growing up, like it was a part of your practice growing up, okay? How many of you have never practiced Advent growing up, okay? Now, so we, we all, I come from the we never practiced, it kind of had maybe a modified version, but never heard that language there, and really what Advent is, is a season of preparation, it's a season of anticipation of, of the coming of, of Christ, and so we're, in our sense, we're looking back upon, reflecting upon the, the birth of Christ, the first coming, but we're also anxiously anticipating and longing for the second coming of Christ when he will come and make all things new. So what we want to do in this season of hustle and bustle when everything can get so busy and going on is to slow down, to reflect upon, and just anticipate um, as we move forward throughout this season you know, what it really means for Christ to come in flesh and to live among us. And so that's what we want to do. And just to prepare our hearts now, uh, we want to just kind of go into a time of prayer um, to, to do that. Um, so if you would, just bow your heads where you're at and let, let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for the, the opportunity to be able to gather as a church family. To begin this season of Advent together. 
And Lord, for those who are, are traveling right now and making their way back home, Lord, we pray that you will keep them safe. I pray that, that each, each family represented here, each family who's not here, has just had a great time um, during this Thanksgiving season. Great conversations, great fellowship, and memories being made. Lord, we, we do pray for those who are currently sick within our body, Lord, that you will just heal them, bring a, just a, a, a breath of fresh air to their families in, in the hours and days ahead. Lord, I pray that as we move into these, these coming days, these coming weeks of, of Advent, Lord, that our, our hearts and our minds, our attention will just be attuned to your word. That we will reflect upon just the truths of Scripture and just the, the incredible miracle of the incarnation of Christ taking on flesh and living among us. Lord, we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. And then even when life seems discombobulated and out of sorts, you're in complete control. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign and you are high and lifted up. So now, Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that your name will increase and my name will decrease. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Again, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 today. We're going to pick up in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without an inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far from people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So what we have is, is one chapter, Isaiah chapter 6, being unfolded here before us. And what we're going to do now in the time that we have together is to attempt to just to break this down into six parts. 
And we're going to just look at each part. And the first part, just going to give you a heads up, is going to be the longest part. It's going to be the part that's going to set the stage for everything else that is to come. And the first one is the Lord is holy. In verse 1, right out of the gate, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died. We just pause there for a moment and reflect upon it. Like, why would we pause and just look at in the year that King Uzziah died? Well, this is why. Because it gives us a time stamp. 740 B.C. It gives us a place in history, which in turn gives us a context of what's taking place in history. The natural question is, what is taking place in 740 B.C.? What is taking place in the year that King Uzziah died? And what you have is a nation divided. Israel in the north, Judah in the south, ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. Remember, it's through the line of Judah that the prophesied Messiah is to come. The Savior is to come through the line of Judah. And what is taking place in the north is the Assyrian Empire is now beginning to lay siege upon the Israelite tribes. And they're going to remove them and they're taking them into exile. Now, in the south... You've got a king who has been reigning for 52 years named King Uzziah. Now think about that for a moment. He has reigned for 52 years as king, as sovereign king. Put that in perspective for a moment. You know who would still be president of the United States with a few years remaining if if this were the case here? Richard Nixon would still be the president of the United States and still have a few more years to go. Now, how many of you, out of curiosity, were not alive when Richard Nixon was the president of the United States? Right? A lot of us here. How many of you have no idea who Richard Nixon is? Yeah, we had a few in the first service kind of raise their hand. They were young students, don't worry, uh, on that one. But you think about this. Imagine your entire life All you've ever known is one sovereign leader, one king. That's it. And now he's died, and at the same time, you've got the Assyrian Empire that is wreaking havoc on the tribes above. You're going to naturally have great uncertainty. There's a lot of worry that is taking place here. They're wondering what's going to happen. At the same exact time, Isaiah receives a vision from the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Notice who Isaiah does not see here. He does not see King Uzziah. He does not see the man who was seated on the throne for 52 years. No, no, he does not see King Uzziah. He sees the Lord who is seated on the throne for all of eternity. (laughs) Notice the spelling here of Lord as well. Capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d here. It's the Hebrew title, Adonai, Sovereign One, Master. He he is the Lord. The one on this throne is the Lord is seated upon the throne, high and lifted up as sovereign, not King Uzziah. That's intended to comfort. That's intended to encourage. It's intended to tell, let Isaiah know clearly, it's all going to be okay. Nothing is going to catch me off guard. 
And above this throne stood the seraphim. Who are the seraphim? These burning ones, these angelic beings. We're told each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Recognize these are creatures that were created specifically to dwell within the throne room of God. They're created perfect for the inhabitant of which they are right now dwelling. This isn't something that we're just looking at in the text. This is what's happening right now. These six-winged creatures created for the throne room of God. But notice this. With two wings, they're covering what? Their eyes, their face. With two wings, they're, they're covering their feet. Why? Why are they covering their eyes? Why are they covering their feet? Because of the unapproachable glory of the one that they're flying over right now. Right now. And with the other two wings, they're flying throughout the throne room and they're crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And as they do, as they're bellowing this through the throne room of God, the foundations tremble and shake. Now again, notice the spelling of the Lord here and how it's different from the one we already looked at. Here it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Why the difference? Why? Because this is now the personal name of God. It's Yahweh. And what we have taking place here in this throne room is the seraphim, even with eyes covered by their wings, seeing enough of God's glory that they're recognizing and they're crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy. Now why three holies? Why, 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 why not just one? Because one isn't enough. The seraphim are emphasizing the fact that no one and nothing compares to the Lord. He is completely distinct, completely separate. Even the very best person on their very best day is com completely distinct from holy God. We can never be on the same playing field as God. He is completely holy, holy, holy. Gloriously holy and set apart. Seraphim cannot even begin to, to look upon Him in His glory. But the seraphim don't even stop with this declaration. As they cry out, the whole earth is full of His glory. As we well know, it is a world that is marred by sin, but it is full of His glory. As Romans 1 tells us, His, his attributes, including His holiness, including His glory, have been clearly perceived since the beginning of time and since the creation of the world. But what have we done? We, going back to, to Adam and Eve, to all people, is what we have done is exchange the glory of God, the truth about God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the Creator. We've created substitutes. We've created idols, if you will. We've been too easily pleased. 
Even for those of us who are faithfully following Christ, it, it can be matters of where we can find ourselves far too easily pleased. The, the glory of God is abounding in all that has been made, both seen and unseen. Like right now, in this very moment, the Lord is sitting high upon His throne, high and lifted up, and we're far too easily pleased just to kind of go through the motions of Christianity. I don't, I don't mean to be flippant here, but we're like a child who's getting excited about a Happy Meal toy when like a trip to Disney World is on the table, right? Like, like they're like, Disney is here! I want the Happy Meal prize. They want the instant gratification because it's right there in front of them. They, they don't get to see the big picture. How many of you have been to Disney World? Good number of you, right? I was 26 years old the very first time that I went to Disney World. Now, I grew up in western Kentucky, and I, I grew up with county fairs, and I, and I grew up with, like, local amusement parks, right? And I, got, I had Holly World, Holiday World, which was, like, formerly Santa Claus, Indiana. And I thought those were, like, off the hizzle for shizzle dizzle. I, those were it. Like, that was it. The Gravitron, the, the, the swinging pirate ship, those were great. That was life. You go to the TriFest downtown. I can't believe y'all don't know what the TriFest is. I mean, all these types of things. Like, just the festivals of my town that I grew up with, were, that was life. And I would tell Leslie about them. And she would start telling me about Disney World. I'm thinking, yeah, but the Gravitron, man. The swinging pirate ship. And she's like, you don't have a clue. You don't get it. So 26 years old, for our anniversary, we're going to Disney World as just two kids, right? Going to have fun. We get to Disney World. And I'm checking into the hotel. And I'm like, okay, this is a whole new ballgame. This is completely different. <laughs> this is distinct from anything. Holiday World, <laughs> that was okay. Had some nice experiences. But Space Mountain and Adventure Island and all the food and all the festivity, I mean, all the detail that goes into everything at Disney World, it's crazy. <laughs> and I was settling for a cheap imitation. <laughs> now, you know what my standard is? Disney World. <laughs> it's like the worst thing sometimes. It's like when you go on, like, in your, like your you get spoiled, you get experienced like something really good, and it's like, now that's the expectation, right? I went to a basketball game, and I've always sat in the nosebleed sections. And then I had, like, club seats one time. Somebody said, hey, why don't you come and sit in the club seats? And I'm like, I can't afford those. And they, they, they take me, give me club seats. Well, now, next time I go to the, the cheap seats, I'm thinking, man, I really wish I was in the club seats. <laughs> Leather, they're bringing me food, and like, like yeah, I, the, the bar has changed. But this this thing we see here is we find ourselves settling for like the gravitron. We find ourselves settling for for lesser things, and we forget what the expectation really is. This is the same true with many professing Christians with our walk with the Lord that we're, we're far too easily pleased. We're to find ourselves too content with like a quick three-minute devotional, kind of get a warm fuzzy, kind of go through the motions, and I go along my day. 
We fail to see the, the richness and the glory of God that is abounding from cover to cover in this book. Not only in Isaiah, but in, from, every, from Genesis to Revelation, the glory of God, the person of Christ is being clearly seen coming forth on the pages of this text, crying out of this is who Christ is. This is the life that He wants you to live. And we're kind of setting up, like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> Happy Bell Prizes look pretty good. <laughs> and, and we see this kind of taking place. When we experience God for who He is, when we begin to see Him as high and lifted up upon the throne that He is, it changes everything, specifically in how we respond to Him. Look at Isaiah's response to the Lord. Verse 5. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and then how does he respond? Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why does he respond this way? He tells us, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw the king. Like really saw the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees the holiness of God on full display. And he's changed. What's his reaction? Not like, man, that was awesome. What's his reaction? Woe is me. I'm lost. He recognizes his standing before holy God. He recognizes his standing as a man condemned. He recognizes that he has been far too easily pleased by the pleasures of this world. He recognizes that in and of himself, he has no hope in life and in death. He is nothing but filthy rags in the hands and in the feet before holy God, which makes what happens next even more amazing. Look at number three. Isaiah's sin is atoned for by the Lord. Look at verse six. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What we have in this verse, these two verses, is a divine act of the Lord's grace. The sins of Isaiah are atoned for. His unclean lips find purification by the grace of God. There's not one thing Isaiah does to deserve this. There's nothing about him that has owned this. He doesn't even ask for it. <laughs> Do you notice this? He never even asked for it. All he says is, woe is me. I am lost. This is a total act of God's grace. God's marvelous and wonderful grace. And what we have with this fiery piece of coal is just incredible symbolism that's abounding here on how the Lord maintains His status as a consuming fire while at the same time make, make, by, way, by making a way to purify sinners like Isaiah. He, how He is both just and gracious. 
to sinners like us. You know how He's just and gracious to sinners like us? Because the justice that we deserve was levied upon Son Jesus. And in turn, we receive the grace and the righteousness of Christ. That's how God is both just and gracious. Doesn't stop here though. Look at number four. Isaiah is commissioned by the Lord. Picking up in verse eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. (laughs) There's so much packed into this verse. Notice the Trinitarian language if you're following along. Whom shall I send? Singular, right? One God. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Who's the us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Trinitarian language abounding here. But what's Isaiah's immediate response to the Lord's request? Here I am. Send me. Me, 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 me. Pick me. I'll do it. I'll go. (laughs) He sees the Lord high and lifted up recognizes his condition. And then God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he's like, I'm in, man. <laughs> I'm going. But look, look. Look what we see. Isaiah doesn't even know what it is. <laughs> he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what, what he's being asked to do. Like, go where? He doesn't know. Isaiah doesn't know. But his answer is what? Yes. He says, wherever you'd have me to go, Lord, I'll go. Whatever you'd have me to do, I'll do it. And church, I'm going to tell you, this is such a freeing place to be. (laughs) To be at a point in your life, to be at a point to say, Lord, wherever you would have me to go, I will go. Whatever you would have me to do, I will do. Because I know, without a doubt, your plans are better than my plans. Are you there? Have you been there? Do you know what this is? He's such a freeing place to be. <laughs> but what do we want to do? We want to set parameters, don't we? We, we, we want to set parameters and say, yes, Lord, I, I will follow you wherever you want me to go, but just not here, here, or here. Lord, you can take my children and use them for your glory. I'm praying that you will use them in mighty ways to accomplish your mission. Just don't send them out of the country. Don't send them to this part of this city. Don't, don't, don't send them over here. We want to have veto power. We have our yes on the table, but with exceptions, with a veto in play. But in doing so, we're settling for Happy Meal toys. We're, we're missing the prize. We're, we're missing the blessings of what it means to, to follow Christ and to say, here I am, send me. So why does Isaiah say it? Why does he say this without knowing the specifics? Well, why would he do this? Because he knows who's asking the question. He knows who's asking the question. He sees the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up as the center of the universe. The one who we will see in Revelation chapter 4, this is Him. All creation bowing down. 24 elders bowing down. Everyone in all creation bowing down to this God. Sovereign King. It's a belief. It's an understanding leading to faith-filled action. You know, we've been talking about how do you know if you believe and what's real belief? And that's belief. 
It's belief that leads to faith-filled action. He was a man who was lost and condemned. And he understood that. And by the sovereign hand of God, he was saved. And he recognized that. And church, that changed everything. And now can you imagine the global impact of Christians would have if Christians all over the world responded like Isaiah? Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Use everything I have for the glory and the advancement of the gospel. Isaiah doesn't even know where he's going. But after he says yes, God tells him. Not before, but after. The Lord tells him where to go, what to say, and even how the people are going to respond. Look in verse 9. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And I'm guessing that's not exactly what Isaiah had in mind. Like what? What do you mean go and preach a message that's going to harden their hearts? That's not exactly what Isaiah had in mind. Like an odd presidential pause. Like no politician can grab a bottle of water, right? And neither can a pastor. All right? So anyway, and I'm going to take another one because I, I got to keep going. <laughs> Awkward, but anyway. <laughs> Isaiah here has been told that he is going to preach a message that's going to have a hardening effect on the hearts of the people. Because the Israelites, God's chosen people, have refused to, to listen to God's Word. They've refused to, to sit under Him and to be led by His sovereign rule. They don't see Him as the King that is high and lifted up. They're not living as God has instructed them to live. So God sends Isaiah out to preach a message that is going to have a hardening effect upon their hearts. One where they will hear, but they will not understand. They will see, but they will not perceive. Does that sound familiar? It's the same thing we hear when we're looking at Jesus teaching in parables when He comes in, through Mark's Gospel. When He was speaking in parables, He was speaking so they would hear, but they would not understand. They would see, but they would not perceive. It, it's having a hardening effect. It's a, me it's a means of judgment. It's a message that is intended to harden the hearts of this unclean and rebellious people which happens every single time that the message, the gospel is preached. The messenger proclaims, the sower sows the seed, the gospel is, is used by God then to either harden the hearts of those as a means of God's judgment or soften hearts as a means of God's sovereign grace. It does both. It both hardens and softens. And you know what Isaiah is in control of? Neither of those. Do you know what we are in control of? Neither of those. 
The point being of emphasis here is that salvation comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. So Isaiah's responsibility, our responsibility then is what? To faithfully proclaim the message that the Lord has given him. To faithfully proclaim it. He is to say nothing more and to say nothing less. And the same is true of each and every one of us. We have one message. And we have one gospel. That's it. One message. One gospel. And we live within a culture where pastors being the chief culprits at times are are trying to doctor this message in order to make it better for listening ears. To soften it. To make it for a better response. So we can get more people to respond because no one wants to preach a message that's not going to have anybody converted. (laughs) And so we see people trying to doctor this message and make it more attractive to listening ears. But church, we do not have this freedom. We do not have this freedom. Like the, the seraphim with the coal, we are simply to deliver what the Lord has given us to deliver. And we leave the effects up to the Lord. We cannot bring people to saving faith. Only the Lord can. But we must deliver the message. And we must deliver the message faithfully that there is a holy God. And that we all stand condemned before Him. But by the grace that He has lavished upon us through His Son Jesus, there is a hope and there is a freedom that is found in Christ. We must preach this message and we leave the fruit to to the Lord. See, I learned a long time ago and and really not not long enough ago that there are far better preachers in this world than I. And there always will be. Much better preachers, much more eloquent preachers. But in the words of the late Adrian Rogers, there is not one of those preachers who will ever preach a better gospel than I. Because there is only one gospel. It is the gospel that that I will preach until my very last breath. It is the gospel that you are commissioned to preach and to proclaim. It is the gospel, the only gospel that we as the church have been given to go and to proclaim to a lost and dying world. It does not need to be doctored. It needs to be proclaimed. It's like a lion. We just need to let it out of its cage, according to Charles Spurgeon. Just let it loose and let it roar. <laughs> let the Word of God do the work of God. And so that's why when you come to, to Harvest Point, we just walk through the text. <laughs> we just want to see and to let the Word of God do the work of God. No bells and whistles. Number five, the people of the Lord are punished and preserved. Look at verse 11 with me in Isaiah's response. It says, Then I said, How long, O Lord? He's like, How long will their hearts remain hardened? He doesn't want to preach to hardened hearts, he doesn't want them to receive God's judgment. He's already pleading as though a pastor. He's like, how long, O Lord? And this is the Lord's response. And He said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, 
it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. The Lord's reply is simple and it is direct. Isaiah, you keep on preaching. You keep preaching the message that I have given you. And their hearts will remain hardened until I have levied my punishment upon them. And what the Lord is referring to here is coming a future Babylonian exile. What we've talked about at the very beginning is the Assyrians are bombarding. They're taking Israel, the tribe there, captive, exile, no more. And then there will come a time where Judah will no longer be preserved. And then the Babylonians will come in and they will conquer Judah, take God's people from God's place, the promised land, because they have failed to live under God's rule. That's what we will see take place. Exactly what God promised them before they entered the promised land. That if you don't teach, if you don't lead, if you don't train up your children in the way they should go, they will depart from me and punishment will come. But, even in the midst of judgment, what do we see? Salvation coming forth. As the Lord promises to leave a remnant, a stump. The holy seed is its stump. This holy seed will become the future Israel. A remnant of survivors that God will preserve by His grace. Again, you link back to, to Noah and the ark. God destroyed every living creature on the, on, on the planet. Everything that walked on the face of the earth. Except the families who took shelter in the ark of God's mercy and grace. In those families, God preserved a promise that He had made in Genesis chapter 3. The promise that through that lineage, a serpent crusher would come. The Christ would come. And what we see here is a, a remnant through this stump. God promises to bring to fruition the person and work of Christ. He promises to do this remnant to preserve the genealogical line of Judah that was going to bring the coming Messiah. Through this stump, through this remnant, God is saying, I'm going to bring judgment I'm going to bring judgment, but I will not forget my promises. I am a promise-keeping God. I will deliver you. And in this dark period of history, they're hearing a message of hope that a seed will come. A remnant will remain. And as we close, I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. If you, do, if you don't have one, grab one on the, right down the rack next to you. You can turn on your phones and look. John chapter 12. I really want you to follow along here. John chapter 12, verse 41. Where, this is where John, after citing Isaiah chapter 6, 9 and 10, what we've just read, He's cited that to explain why the Jews rejected Jesus despite witnessing all the miracles. Something we've seen over and over again throughout Mark's Gospel, right? That Jesus is coming, He's performing miracle after miracle. He's teaching before them. He's doing these things. And the people are like, who? 
Like they don't get it. Like they don't understand what's taking place. Well, John's citing Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 to explain this. And then here in John 12, 41, John quotes Isaiah saying, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Whose glory did Isaiah see? The Lord's glory. It's what we've been looking at right here in Isaiah chapter 6. This is what he's referring to here. But, keeping in the context of John chapter 12, the, the his and the him here in verse 41 cannot refer to God the Father specifically, but only to Jesus. And here's why. Look. Because look at verse 37. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe. Who is the one who did all the miracles that these people have have witnessed? Jesus. They didn't believe, right? Now look at verse 42. Many, even of the authorities, believed in Him. Who's Him? Jesus. So verse 41, keeping in context, is speaking of who? Jesus. Meaning the the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up in Isaiah, who, who John is referring to here, the one who the seraphim cannot even begin to look at in all His glory, is that Isaiah has his eyes upon the pre-incarnate Christ. He's seeing Jesus before He took on flesh. It doesn't mean that He's not seeing God the Father, but He is clearly, through John, letting us know that He is seeing Jesus before He took on flesh, the eternal Son of God. This is why we begin here with our Advent series. Because we need to understand that Christ is eternal. The Son of God has always existed. Holy, high, and lifted up. And He humbled Himself to take on flesh. To come and to live on this earth. When it appeared that God would have turned His back upon His creation and His people, we see in the midst of judgment, we see salvation coming forth by the grace of God. We see that a remnant will be preserved and the promises of God going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 are going to be fulfilled. We see that God is a promise-keeping God. We see that none of this is an afterthought. There is no plan B. (laughs) It's all a plan A unfolding one step of a time just as God has intended. It's glorious truths that are laying before us and ones that we cannot leave without asking some serious reflective questions of ourselves. We can't just come in and walk out the same way. Like, What is our view of the Lord? What is your view of the Lord? Do you, do you see Him as high and lifted up? Like Isaiah? Do you see Him as sovereign over all of the universe? Do you see Him as holy, holy, holy? Or, or is it something less? 
I think our answer to the next question reveals our answer to the first. What is our view of our condition before the Lord? The human condition in general. Do, do we respond like Isaiah? Woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Is, is that our response? Do we see Jesus as our only hope in life and in death? The only means of atoning for our sins. The only means of purification of our sinful hearts. Or are we trying to, to, to maneuver life on our own? To kind of, we see ourselves as not perfect, but pretty good people. I know I can't do everything, but I, I, I got it under control. And what's our response to, to God? When the Lord asks, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? How, how do we respond to this? Do we respond with yes, but with some parameters, not here, not here, not here. Yes, but you can't have this and you can't have that. Or is it just a blank check on the table? Yes, Lord, it's all yours. Always has been, always will be. Yes, Lord, wherever you have me to go, I'll go. Lord, if you want to use my children to the uttermost parts of the world, you want to take our family to the uttermost parts of the world, we'll go. Whatever it is, Lord, the answer is yes. Can you imagine the global impact? Can you imagine the local impact of a church, of churches, of Christians responding like this? Here I am. Send me. I'm praying that in, in, in the months and the years to come, we will be a church that is an ar sending out army after army of individuals, both locally and globally, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. To, to, to put forth this, this glorious message of hope and salvation and trust God to do the work. To go into the hardest places where it seems like hearts will never, ever be softened to the gospel and to see God do the miraculous that only He can do. Church, there is nothing that is impossible for God. So why do we want to put Him in a box and place a fence around the limitations in our own lives? In this season of Thanksgiving, in this season now of Advent, we do long and we look towards, we're thankful for what Christ has done in His coming. And we do now long for His second coming. But let's remember that there are many out there today who have never even heard of His first. And how will they hear if we don't tell them? Lord, as we go from here today, I pray that we will reflect upon your word. Let it leave a lasting impact within us, Lord. Questions continuing to abound of how we shall respond to you. Lord, help us, one, to just see you continually as, as high and lifted up. But Lord, in, in your sovereignty, we see your grace abounding, that Though we stand condemned, 
you sent your son to, to redeem and to save. To atone for the sins of many. To atone for the sins of the fallen and lost world. Lord, help us to respond like Isaiah and say, here I am, send me. Help us to have confidence to know that your word is enough to do the work. We don't have to manipulate it. Lord, have your way in this place today. Help us to, to, to see you, to know you, and to follow you in faith and by faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And let's sing, come behold this wondrous mystery and proclaim this, these gospel truths through song.